Beautiful. It's good to see everybody. I'm excited to see so many of you guys in the building this weekend in the great city of Beloit. Yeah. And everybody, on a serious note, in the midst of everything that's crazy and chaotic in our world today, uh, the violence in my home city of Chicago, the drama that's continuing to unfold up in Minnesota, the substance abuse challenges that we have and that we're working through here in the state line area. I don't know about y'all, but I can't think of a better place, everyone, for us to be than in the house of the Lord. Amen, somebody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just in case you're here for the first time, or maybe this is your first time in a long time, you are catching our church in the second message of our latest teaching series entitled, Jesus is Greater. And everybody, last weekend, the greatest pastor on the entire planet, yeah, Pastor Dave Clark. Everybody, he led us uh, through the truth, everybody, that Jesus is greater uh, than our disappointment. And everybody, this weekend, I have the privilege to help us work through the truth that Jesus is greater than our fears. For my note takers, Jesus is greater than our fears. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, everybody, but I wonder if you are or you know someone who lives their lives in a perpetual state of fear or anxiety. Mm -hmm. I mean, for you, you know, or that person that you know, you know what I'm that person that you know, yeah, for you or them, everything is the worst case scenario. Everything is a reason why I can't move forward or why this plan is not going to work. And I just wonder, everybody, what would our lives look like if we truly and authentically believe that Jesus with us and Jesus within us is greater than the issues and the, op- uh, and the opposition around us? What would our lives look like? That when we come up against circumstances that seem unprecedented for us, we can view those challenges as an opportunity to fully believe Jesus because we believe that he indeed is greater than our fears. And everybody, um, I believe that sometimes it's all about what we choose to meditate and focus on uh, that makes all of the difference in the world. And I want to show you in Scripture uh, how Jesus shows us how we can conquer and work through fear and anxiety in one of the most popular Bible stories uh, in the Bible. Matthew chapter 14, everybody. The disciples of Jesus found themselves right in the middle, in the middle of a major storm. And right there, I wonder if I got some folks today, if we be honest, like Dave was talking to us and sharing with us last weekend, I wonder if I got some people in the building, you're a little disappointed with God. I mean, you're disinterested in organized church and religion because you feel like you have done everything exactly the way you were supposed to do it. You feel like the Lord led you to move in a specific direction. And by faith and maybe against even some sound advice, you moved, just like we were talking about in our last series, Uh, uh, only to find yourself, everybody, in the middle of a disaster. Well, everybody, if that's true for you, just like us, the disciples, everybody, found themselves in the middle, in the midst of a major, major struggle. These disciples, everybody, they found themselves wrestling with four Ds. They found themselves in a desolate situation. They found themselves in a difficult situation. They found themselves in a dark situation and in a discouraging situation. Desolate, difficult, dark and discouraging. Let's jump to the word. You'll see it. Verse 22 says this. It says, in straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. I mean, the King Jimmy 
for this weekend. And for those of you who I never typically teach out of the King James Version, but I just like the language of the King James Version, particularly with this story, so I'll try to break it down to make sure it's not confusion. But everybody, uh, in chapter 14, as Jesus is, is pressing the disciples to get into this ship and go to the other side of the sea, if you read the entire chapter right before Jesus sends the disciples on this boat, what happens earlier in the chapel is one of the greatest Bible stories, one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed in the Bible. It's where Jesus fed the 5,000 men, not including the women or the children. He easily fed 20,000 people easily with two fish and five loaves of bread. Right? And what's spectacular about this miracle is it can't be disputed because Jesus didn't have anything else to work with. There wasn't anything else around but this two fish and this five loaves of bread that this little boy just happened to have with him in this space. And the Bible backs this up, everybody, in uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. Watch this. The Bible says that the disciples, when it was evening, came to him and said, hey, Jesus, this is a, you see it? What does it say? desolate place. And the day is now over. Jesus, you need to send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. Are y'all seeing this? Somebody say desolate. Everybody, that word in the Greek, that word desolate literally means uh, to be uh, deserted. That word desolate in the Greek for my note takers literally means to be abandoned. That word desolate, everybody, the dictionary defines desolate, everybody, is to to be in a state of dismal emptiness, and to have a feeling of misery, unhappiness, or loneliness. And I don't know, everybody, I wonder if there's anybody in the building today, you understand what it's like to be in a desolate space. Somebody say desolate. Yeah, you got people all around you, but you still feel alone because they're on something totally different than what you're trying to operate in. And when that's, that's the truth, you can find yourself in a real empty and desolate space. Somebody say desolate. Yeah, you're in a group, but you still feel like you all by yourself. Because, see, you're trying to walk with Jesus for real. You know, you want to be the church, but you still got a bunch of people around you just playing church. And when you've got some folk like that around you, you know, it just makes you feel really unhappy and desolate. Somebody say desolate. Yeah, you, you know, you hang with people that know your name, but you still feel like there's no one who really knows you. You still feel like there's no one who really sees you. And you still feel like there's no one who really you can talk to and connect with about your pain, your struggles, that bad experience that you had in the past that contributes to the fear and the anxiety that you wrestle with in the present. And I, do I got any real people in the building that knows what it's like to feel like you've ever been deserted by God, abandoned by God, and feel like you're just in a desolate place? The Bible says, everybody, the disciples found themselves in a desolate situation. They also found themselves in a difficult situation. Somebody say difficult. Look at the verse. Jesus tells them to get into the boat, go to the other side. But the Bible says in verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. Now, everybody, what's significant to me about this part of the passage is, remember now, these disciples, what did they do for vocation? What did they do for occupation? Most of the disciples by vocation and occupation were what? Come on, where my Bible people at? They were what? Fishermen, right? This, most of the disciples, this is what they did, right? And these guys, this wasn't a hobby for them, right? This was generational. Their grandfathers were fishermen. Their daddies were fishermen. Right? These guys grew up 
on the ship. They grew up on the boat. I mean, this, this is, they were professionals. This is what they did. And you ever try to speak to somebody about what they do when they're a professional? How you going to tell me about how to do hair? I am a beautician. I am a professional. Please, bruh, do not talk to me about fantasy football. Do you know who I am? You understand? I am a professional. You understand? And everybody, can I tell you something? Isn't it interesting how God many times will sometimes allow a major storm or struggle to come and shake us up in the place where we feel the most comfortable, the most confident, the most cocky in our own ability to work it out? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the place where we have some of our pride issues that we don't even let on about, the place where we think we have it all under Control, yeah, I knew I had some people in the room, yeah. Sometimes, everybody, even in our home or in our closest, most intimate relationships, you know, that spouse or that significant other that we've unconsciously put before God, you know, that, that parent or that relative that we look up to more than anybody else, that business partner that we have trusted with all of our stuff and trusted above all else, just to have that spouse or significant other betray you, that, that, that parent or, or, or relative abuse you, that business partner deceive and steal from you. And now there's this huge fear. Am I talking to anybody? There's this great anxiety over you for you never allowing yourself ever in your mind to be that weak or that open or that vulnerable ever again. And so what do you do? You close yourself off. You build walls and you guard yourself uh, mentally emotionally, not recognizing that this posture right here, right here, it might protect you, but it'll also prevent you forever fully receiving the light and the love and the healing from Jesus and from others that we all desperately need. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, these disciples found themselves in a desolate situation, a difficult situation. Also found themselves in a dark situation. Somebody say dark. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, and in the fourth watch of the night, the King James, James Version says, the fourth watch of the night for my note takers literally uh, was the darkest part of the night. It's that 3 a.m., 4 a.m. time period. It was where we get our saying, it's literally darkest before the dawn, right? And everybody, I know we don't like to talk about being in a dark place, particularly in church, because what that references is, you know, that we got some people walking in depression. And, 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 but that's a real conversation, isn't it? And we got a lot of people, even in the church, that struggle with depression. And everybody, if I'm keeping it real for you, I had a season of depression. Most of you guys know I played in the National Football League for six seasons. And the problem with that, everybody, is as a professional athlete, many times the game is done with you way before you are done with it. And so after my sixth season, everybody, uh, the NFL, they did not sign me back. And everybody, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready mentally. I wasn't ready emotionally. I wasn't ready financially. And everybody, um, there is a statistic out there, uh, particularly for NFL players that are done with the game or the game is done with them, that says that 78%, did y'all hear how big that number was? 78% of all NFL players two years after they retire are either divorced bankrupt, or a combination of the two. And sadly to say, everybody, and I'm just being super transparent tonight, I used to couldn't even talk about this. But as I stand here before you tonight, I'm a statistic. 
two and a half years after we retired, I had to file for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. I very quickly went from making $400,000 a year to $40,000 a year seemingly overnight. My wife, who I was able to provide an amazing life for, was forced to go back to work uh, after she was at home for seven years taking care of our three young children. And everybody, um, if I can be honest with you, it was one of the most uh, emasculating, humiliating times of my life. And if my wife was here tonight, she'd tell you um, I was depressed. I was detached. I didn't realize that at the time, but now that I look back on it, I realize that she was right. And if I can be really honest, if I can speak to the men in the room today, fellas, you know, honestly, I was afraid. Yeah, I'd never admit that to my wife, but I was. I was afraid of losing my marriage. I know you said, baby, at the altar, for better or for worse, well, baby, here it is. It's really worse. Did you really mean it? Yeah. I wish I had some men right there that wouldn't leave me by myself. Yeah. Everybody, I was afraid of losing my family, afraid of not ever being able to rediscover who I was outside of what I did as a professional athlete. Literally, can I tell you, can I say it like this? I was terrified of transition. And I wonder, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight where COVID-19 has forced you to make some major shifts and transitions personally and professionally because everything is different now. And for some reason, uh, and for some of you, everybody, entire industries have shut down. Jobs have been relocated. I mean, you've been doing what you did for 15, 25, 35 years, and now you got to figure out a whole new way to support yourself with very minimal skills, and it's terrifying. But can I encourage somebody today? That this thing, it may have caught us by surprise, but it didn't catch Jesus by surprise. And the same God that resurrected Jesus from the dead has the same power to resurrect your life, to resurrect your marriage, to resurrect your career, to resurrect your self-esteem, to resurrect your outlook. And you say, how do I know, Ray Mack? Great, great question. Glad you asked. It's because the Bible says in the first John that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Yeah. I dare somebody right there to say, Jesus is greater. Yeah, yeah. And everybody, I can say that to you not because Jesus is greater, number one, and I believe that Bible verse. But number two, I can say that to you because not only am I a statistic, but I'm also a witness. He did it for me. Jesus, he helped me hit the reset button on my life with him. He helped me to reinvent my career and my vocation through him. He helped me to redefine my purpose in him. But listen, everybody, for a season, it was dark. I had to walk through that thing with Jesus. I wonder if anybody in the room also knows what it's like to be in a dark space. Yeah. And everybody, these disciples found themselves in a desolate, difficult, dark, but also a discouraging situation. Somebody say discouraging. Look at verse 24. The second part of the verse says that the wind was contrary, right? And I wonder if I got some people in the room, you understand what it's like to work and to press and to sacrifice and to put in effort and time just trying to get two steps forward just to have life show up and blow you five steps backwards. To the point to where you're so exasperated 
and you're so discouraged that you literally cry out, Jesus, will I ever get this dream, this project off the ground? Jesus, will I ever get this debt under control? Jesus, will I ever? Do I got any real people I'm talking to in the room tonight? Yeah, yeah. But everybody, if I can encourage you, look at the end of verse 25. I love this. The Bible shows us that right in the middle of the disciples' desolate, difficult, dark, and discouraging situation, the Bible says, watch this, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea, which fires me up, everybody, because what that says to me, everybody, is no matter how desolate, difficult, dark, or discouraging our situation may presently be, hey, know that we are never out of reach of the deliverer. Somebody ought to say amen right there. That's good news. That's good news. And everybody, when we understand that, Jesus gives us three things that we can cling to. The first thing for my note takers, everybody, three things happen. The first thing is the ability that Jesus gives me uh, to hear clearly when afraid is greater than my fear. The ability that Jesus gives me to hear clearly when afraid is greater than my fear. All right? It's going to make sense in a minute. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, everybody, and when the disciples saw him, this is after Jesus told them to get on the boat, go on the other side. They're in the storm, right? Uh, um, Jesus is walking to them on the sea, right? And the Bible says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a spirit. You see it? And they cried out for fear. Okay? They cried out. For fear, now everybody, I need you to understand. This is what storms, drama, issues, problems in our life, that is exactly what they are designed to do. They are designed to be so loud and so distracting, right, that they take our eyes off of everything else just so that we focus on it, right? And in this situation, that's exactly what's going on with these disciples. They're in this storm, and the wind is loud. <laughs> Right? Right? And the Bible says uh, that the thunder is rolling. I don't know if y'all had some bad thunderstorms in Beloit. There's some bad thunderstorms in Chicago make me run in my kids' room. You understand? Right? 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 So the thunder is loud. And then the Bible says that the waves are crashing. Right? So you get all this noise, right? Just like life. Noise at home. Noise at your job. Noise, oh my God, in our world right now is loud. Somebody ought to say amen, right? Right? And everybody, here it is. And it's funny now, but it's not funny in the midst of it. Have you ever seen a grown man terrified? It is hilarious, right? The Bible says not only is all this drama going on, but the disciples are in a boat screaming their heads off, right? Because they see something coming toward the boat. They're not quite sure what it is, but in their mind, they think it's, now they don't know it's Jesus, but they see something coming, and in their mind, they think it's, right? And so they are freaking out, and everybody hears the deal. That's what storms are designed to do, everybody. Storms are designed to try to get us to react in fear versus responding in faith. My note takers, 
That's the, that's the design of storms. They want us to react. The enemy wants us to react in fear versus responding in faith. Everybody, right? And so with all this noise and drama going on, the disciples are terrified. They're like, oh, my God, it's Freddie. It's Chucky. It's Jason. We're about to die. Right? Here's Jesus whispering. You know, you know what he, how he does it. That still soft voice when we're in prayer and when we're reading the word. Look at verse 27. Look at what it says. It says, it says, but straightway, Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And everybody said it. Thank you. Somebody ought to get fired up about that. Because what that says to me, everybody, is it's not a question of if Jesus will speak. The question is, will we hear and recognize his voice when he speaks? Yeah, he will speak. Yeah, he will call to us. And if we're listening for him, instead of leaning into the noise of our fears, the Bible says that he gives us the ability to hear him clearly when we're afraid. It's greater than our fear. Here's the second thing. The ability that Jesus gives us, everybody, to move courageously when afraid is greater than our fear. The ability he gives us to move courageously when we're afraid is greater than our fear. Watch this, everybody. This is so good. This is so good. Y'all gonna like this. And the Bible says in verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord. Now stop right there. Now I gotta ask y'all a question. Why did Peter say Lord? Why did he say Lord? Remember back in verse 27? Jesus really never actually identified himself, did he? He didn't say to them, hey, shut up all that noise. It's me, Jesus. Y'all calm down. That ain't what he said, right? All he said was, put it back up for me, Shannon, verse 27. He said, hey, uh, verse 27, please. Go back. There it is. But straightway Jesus spake unto them and said, all he said was, be a good cheer. It is. That's all he said. Some of y'all would have been on the boat like, ah, who the heck is I? You a ghost, man. We're going to die, right? Jesus never actually identified himself in the first person, right? But Peter steps up and he was like, hey, I know that voice. That's the Lord, right? And what's interesting to me, everybody, is it's a boat full of people. A boat full of people that walk with Jesus, that talk with Jesus, that hung with Jesus. But one dude recognized the voice of the Lord and called out to him when he called out to him. Uh, can I make a statement? It's a bunch of people in this room. I didn't mean to go there. You know where I'm going. A bunch of us who say we hang with Jesus. But my question is, would we recognize the voice of the Lord if he spoke to us? And that's significant because John chapter 10 says, my sheep know my voice. Yeah. And a stranger's voice, they will not. Come on follow. I love what Peter does. He says, watch this, verse 28, and Peter answered, Lord, that's you? Awesome. Bid me to come out to you on the water. Doggone it, is my Bible broke again? I can't be reading that right. Shannon, would you hit the refresh button? It'll fix it. It'll fix it. Here we go. All right. We got it now. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, that's great. You're here. Uh, if it be thou, bid me to come out to thee uh, uh, on the... 
It'll still say it. I don't know about y'all, but a couple of things. Number one, if that was me, I'm just saying I might have had a different request. You understand? I don't mean, hey, Jesus, you here? Praise God. You know, can you please uh, stop these waves? This is like a tidal wave out here. I'm getting awful seasick. You know, I ate real good when you fed them, you know, fed us all that fish and bread. I'm about to lose my dinner all over Matthew, Luke, and John and all them. Can you just calm that down? Right? Jesus, you here? Hallelujah. Can you, it's awful dark. Can you cut some light on because it's dark and I can't see a thing. I'm just saying, everybody, isn't it interesting? I mean, I mean, is this a normal request? Maybe it's just me from Chicago. Do people in Beloit, like, typically walk on water around here? No? Okay. And here's my deal, everybody. I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering, some of y'all are like, bro, I can't even swim. What you talking about? Right? I'm looking at this, everybody, and I'm like, Jesus, why would Peter, out of all the requests that he could have made, out of all the options that he had available to him, literally having access to the Savior of the entire universe, why would he ask to do something that people just don't do? And quite honestly, has never been done. And I felt like everybody, the Lord said to me, that settled in Peter's heart, and I hope settles in your heart tonight, is listen, I know this is abnormal. I know this is unprecedented. I know this is seemingly impossible and and everyone else says it can't be done. But see, if Jesus says so, then maybe I can. The Bible says, Peter says, I'm trying to come out there to you, Jesus, on the water. And the Bible says, and Jesus says in verse 29, come. I want to share this story with you. I told you guys I was in a dark space in my life right after football. And for years after that, I mean several years, uh, we struggled. We had to literally give our house away that we were living in, in one of the nicer suburbs in Chicago, and move to a three-bedroom apartment from a four-bedroom, three-bathroom house uh, in a space to a three-bedroom apartment, um, barely making ends meet. And then my wife walks up to me a couple of years later, and she says, Ray, I'm pregnant. And I said, you're pregnant. How does this keep happening to you? What are you doing? Because right? come on, somebody. Kids cost money. So I wish I had some parents in here to say amen to that. And we already struggling. Right? And so then I just embraced it. And I was like, okay, well, we're pregnant. Praise God. We're gonna, God will provide for who, what he birth in you. And so everybody, I'm the dad that would go to the appointments with my wife for the prenatal stuff and all that. We get to like the eighth week. The baby is in there. We see, you see the baby. It's great. Two weeks later, we show up. The baby really hadn't grown. Not, not a major deal, but the doctor was concerned enough to say, come back next week. Let's just check on it. We go back the next week. Everybody, the baby hadn't grown. Now the doctor's concerned. He says, come back the following week, and let's just check this. And if the baby hadn't grown by then, we might have to have a different conversation. My wife goes back. I wasn't able to be there for that appointment. I was, had to do some business. Uh, my wife shows up, and the doctor that we typically connect with was not serving her at that time. It was a different doctor in the group. Reads her chart and very coldly and callously says, Mrs. McElroy, listen, I'm looking at your chart. The baby hadn't really grown. I'm going to recommend you come back next week. And if you come back next week and the baby hadn't grown significantly, uh, then we're going to recommend an immediate DNC. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that basically is when they take a vacuum cleaner, stick it inside of a woman, and suck the fetus out. 
super cold and callous. And what you also need to know, everybody, is we had already had two miscarriages between our third child and this child. And uh, it wasn't looking good. If, if this didn't happen, we weren't going to have any more children. My wife was devastated, came home, told me all about the news, took her to our home church that we were going in in Chicago, had our former pastor pray for my wife. On the way back to our three-bedroom apartment, my wife was basically silent, struggling, and I'm driving, and everybody, can I tell you something? The Lord spoke to me, and I heard him clearly. And he said, Ray, I appreciate the fact that you had your pastor pray for your wife, but you do know you have the ability to seek me for yourself. You do know you have the ability to speak life over your own situation and believe me and my word for your own situation. I said, yes, sir, I do. Got home. I didn't even tell my wife the conversation we had, I had with Jesus. Brought her in the house, literally picked her up, carried her into our bedroom. Later on our bed, and everybody, I grabbed my Bible. I went to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 7. And around verse 13, I will paraphrase it for you. It basically says, when all hell is breaking loose in your life, verse 14 says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, the Bible says, I'll hear from heaven, I will forgive sin, and I will heal your land. Everybody, I grabbed that scripture. Yeah, I grabbed that scripture put my hand on my wife's womb, and I said, God, you said by your word that if I did these things, if I submitted myself to you, if I humbled myself, turned from my wicked ways, believed you, you said that you would heal my situation. God, I'm believing you to heal my wife in Jesus' name. My baby will live and not die. Everybody, can I tell you something? The next week, I cleared my schedule. I was expecting God to do something. I was moving courageously. They took the picture, the ultrasound, everybody, the baby was three times bigger than she was just seven days earlier. And for those of you who've never met my daughter, Shannon, I sent you those pictures. You got them? This is my baby. Yeah. She's 14 now, but I cannot picture. I got, to, I got a chance to baptize her. Look at her now with this puppy that she's desperately trying to get me to buy. I'm not going there. Yeah. Can't picture my life without my little Ramaya Joy. And everybody, the reason why this point is so significant is, see, the enemy wants us to see things as we've always seen them. He wants us to feel like things won't ever change. I mean, people don't change, right? Situations don't change, right? He wants us to think that our lives will always be what they've always been. Why? Because there's no hope in that message. There's no chance of change or transformation in that message. But I came to tell somebody today that if Jesus says so, you know, but man... He says it's impossible. He told you, you'd never get clean. You'd never get a good job. You'd never get healed. You'd never get your family back. You'd never get over that broken heart. You'd never get right with God. God, man will tell you all day and night that it's impossible. But I'm glad that you and I know that with God, all things are possible. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Yeah. I got to get ready to go. It's late. Everybody, number one. He gives us the ability to hear him clearly when afraid is greater than our fear. Number two, the ability that Jesus gives me to move courageously when afraid is greater than my fear. And finally, everybody, the ability that Jesus gives me to function competently when afraid is greater than my fear. Function competently is greater than my fear. Do y'all know, folk, that no matter what they're going through, they're just like a rock. You know, they're just so calm. Nothing seems to bother them. 
Nothing seems to move them, right? My best example of this, y'all don't know this dude. Y'all ever heard of Lovey Smith? Lovey Smith, former head coach of the Chicago Bears. He's not a defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans. When I was the chaplain for the Bears, this dude was the calmest man. on. You didn't know if we was up by 50 or down by 40 because the man's, his, 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 his facial expressions never change. We up by 50? We down by 40? That's all you was going to get, right? Never, ever change. And one time, y'all, this is terrible. I'm a, I can tell y'all this. Uh, I'm the chaplain. I'm the team pastor. You understand? We getting our brakes beat off. It probably was 12 in Green Bay. Probably, probably. I hate you Packer fans. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, you know, Lovey would never use profanity, ever. If he said crap, you knew he was upset. That's, that's, the, that's all you was going to get. And I'm thinking as the team pastor, but, you know, I played too, so that part of me is in me, you feel me? I was like, Lovey, you know, you could just drop a bomb right here. We could pray about it and ask for forgiveness later, you know. J- just pray for your associate pastor. I need your prayers, right? Yeah. But everybody, he was always just the calmest, coolest guy. And I don't know about y'all, but I want to be that type of Christian. That no matter what's going on around me, I am not moved by my circumstances because my eyes are always fixed on Jesus. I want to show you something. I'm finishing. Verse uh, 30 says this. I'm skipping one, Shannon. Uh, Verse 30 says, it says, watch this. Um, But when he saw the wind, boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Remember I told you God told Peter to jump out on the water and start walking. Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't calm the storm, but he changed Peter's perspective, perspective of the storm when he kept his eyes on him. And for a while, he was doing great until he took his eyes off Jesus and started focusing on the stuff around him. And can I say this for a moment? I'm finishing, I promise. Some of y'all in here, you got a right to be afraid. That's right, I said it. You got a right to be afraid. You know why? Because some of y'all are trying to do your life in stages without Jesus. Dang right you should be afraid, right? That's the most frightening space to be in, alone with our thoughts, alone with our fears, alone with our imagination, disconnected from your church, not spending time in your word, not seeking the Lord, allowing the weight of the world to literally... What the Bible say? Take you under, right? And everybody, but the best thing we could do is when we're afraid and anxious is to cry out and reach out for Jesus. Ain't that what Peter did? Look at the next verse. It says, it says, it says, he cried saying, Lord, right? That's what the Bible said, right? And immediately, somebody say immediately. Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, what did he say? O thou little faith, wherefore did you doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Everybody, can I just say this and get y'all out of here? Um, Notice the Bible says that when Jesus stepped into the ship, the wind, what? Ceased. 
And I just want to say to somebody, there may be somebody in this room today, you're just a moment away from your wind and your storm ceasing. And all it may take for somebody in here is to cry out and reach out for Jesus, just like Peter did. And maybe, can I say this too? Maybe your storm won't cease. But just like Peter, when we stay focused on Jesus, it's amazing how he'll give, the ability, give us the ability to function company, competently in the midst of our storm, in the midst of our drama, in the midst of our mess. And I said it before, and I'm going to say it again in closing. Everybody, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead to defeat death in the grave and to give us access to eternal life is the same God, everybody, that has the power to help you overcome your fear and anxiety, has the power to resurrect your life, your marriage, your career, your self-esteem, and your outlook. And why? First John said it perfectly, because greater is he that is in me than any joker and any mess that's in the world. Amen? Would you stand with me while we pray? Father, help us. It's real out in these streets. Some of our situations are really, really, really loud. And God, they desire to take our focus off of you. Some of us, we got some real issues. We've struggled in the past. We got some real hurt, some real pain. It's contributed to our anxiety about life and about things and about our outlook. But Father, help us to cling to the truth of knowing, oh God, that the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same God that can raise us and resurrect and lift us out of whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever issue we're going through. As long as we dare to lean in, oh God, to you, you're greater than our fear. You're greater than our anxiety. You're greater than any situation we may be facing. Help us to focus on you. We need you. <laughs> if there's ever a time we needed you, Jesus, in our world and in our lives, it is right now. So help us to break free and help us to cling to that truth and help us to operate the way you've called us to operate competently. We can move courageously when we hear you clearly. God, we'll give your name all the praise when you do it. And we'll testify and be a testimony to those watching us on the sidelines. Like, wow, how are they able to do that? We'll be able to say it's nobody but Jesus. It's in your great, mighty, and matchless name we declare and pray and say all these things. In Jesus' name, and let every heart in the building say, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwired.com and have a great week.